if I'm remembering correctly, we left off last episode touching on the topic of support, which seems fitting, seeing how even at day 122, support, more specifically community support, is something my program is seriously lacking. If you live in a small town, such as the one I reside in, a lot, if not all of recovery meetings, have a sort of lackluster essence that can be hard to find inspiration. As if it's not a big enough inhibitor, wait until life begins piling on everything it has in store for you. Just talking about it reinforces, at least in my mind, just how important an outpatient group, such as the one I've found in STARS, can be so critically important when you're first starting out. It's the best, if not the easiest, way to go. I mean, if you're going into treatment and you're really, you're truly ready to get clean and make a go at recovery, at starting your life, really, you've got it all out of your system, you've hit rock bottom, then I believe the next step isn't deciding whether or not you're going to treatment, but whether or not your situation warrants you going into inpatient or extensive outpatient. I'm not going to say it can't be done any other way. I'm just saying that it's my belief that it'll yield the best results. It takes most of the guesswork out of the first three or four months in recovery. It's important to remember that for however long you've spent self-medicating, doling the roar that is your internal and or external pain, in some situations both, it's important to keep in mind that all of that partially subdued pain will eventually come crashing back, sometimes sporadically, sometimes all at once. And what better way to deal with said pain, the root cause of what got you into this mess in the first place, than to deal with it in a controlled therapeutic environment. Uh, it's like going to NA meeting on steroids, uh, where you know you'll most likely get something out of it. Especially if you speak up or vocal about your hurts, your habits, your hangups, and make sure you get yourself conditioned on accepting feedback. There's a sort of mastery that goes into being able to receive and accept constructive criticism. Even if you know it's coming, something happens inside of us. Heartbeat quickens. Your blood pressure rises. Your mind begins searching for excuses and explanations. Uh, all your preconceived defense mechanisms kick in. For me, it's humor. For others, they start lying, projecting, blaming. Some even resort to anger. It's never a fun time hearing things that are hard to hear about yourself and your behaviors. There is, however, a light at the end of the tunnel. There's a few things you can practice to get more out of it. The first of which is to stop. Try not to react at all. The best way to get the most out of it is just to shut your mouth and really listen. Try to remember all the benefits of getting feedback and keep in perspective exactly what feedback is at its core, an opinion. Actually, the more I pontificate on the topic, this advice should be applied when dealing with uh, opinions in all aspects of life. A lot of good can come out of some good old-fashioned feedback. It's a chance to gain a more in-depth understanding when seeing things through the eyes of someone else. If it's really good feedback, you can even gain a new perspective. Something that's not uh, done as often, but should be mentioned, is positive feedback. Coincidentally, the topic of the group I attended last evening was on just that. I found that going around the room one by one 
and giving each person positive reinforcement that at the very least lifted the spirits of the individual, if not the whole group as a whole. More so, I believe, it gave each person a boost of confidence. Something so simple yet so profound that it just could be the exact right thing a person, especially in early recovery, uh, needs to keep going. To let them know that they're on the right path. Fuel to the fire, so to speak. There's nothing at least that I can think more beneficial to one seeking success than one equipped with confidence. I can only speak for myself, but sitting here listening to my peers give me feedback, telling me that I played a positive role in their recovery, and on top of that, that I was appreciated for it, was to say the least a cathartic experience. If you've been anywhere near recovery, then there's a fairly good chance you've heard the celebrated platitude that says, you can't keep it if you don't give it away. And while this may be true, my reasonings for wanting to go into the business of helping people, counseling, peer support, what have you, comes from a much more selfish place. Uh, since getting sober, I feel that I'm more self-aware than ever before. My thought process is much clearer. My ability to regulate as well as identify my emotions is something uh, I've had a difficult time doing in active addiction. These days, I know what I like and what makes me happy, as well as the opposite. So hearing that, uh, I may have even the slightest impact on my peers' pursuit of happiness strongly reinforced what I've known for almost the entirety of my sobriety, that I really enjoy the way it makes me feel when I'm helping people. More specifically, helping people navigate their way through the destruction until they can find a clear path as to what it is I found in recovery, good health, connections, intimacy, real friends, to go back to the basics of being parents, to being sons, daughters, to finding success, to obtaining love, to wake up in the morning feeling of gratitude, peace, hope, and love, knowing that each day is an accomplishment in and of itself. I can't express how true it is that there is a better life still waiting for you, but only when you're ready. This is a disease, and that's not your fault by any means. It is, however, up to you to rectify your life by getting out in front of this thing and taking charge, taking responsibilities of the damage that you've done. The good news is, is that there's a cure for this wretched disease and that the medicine is readily available. Hell, most of it is lying dormant within your very being. Uh, you just have to learn how to access and use it. I'm not going to sit here and go on as if, as if I have all the answers, like I'm Pax Prentice from Passages Malibu. No, my friend, I'm not that guy. I'm no different from every other addict in recovery trying to make a difference. What I will do is everything within my abilities to reach out, <clears throat> spread the word about how it is I've gotten clean and what it is I'm doing day in and day out to stay that way. I want to show people ways to stay on course and to keep hope alive. Even when faced with more obstacles and barriers than they can see past, I want to educate people on how to get organized, on how to not only set goals, but how to accomplish them. Each episode, I want to showcase a tool, a resource, a coping skill to help listeners and myself build an arsenal of weapons to aid us in fighting the good fight. As you could probably tell, I'm extremely brand new at all this. As a result, as a result, each episode will be raw, poorly edited, and unprofessionally recorded. 
Hell, I'm even still working on the uh, on on the format of each episode. Uh, that being said, one of the aspect I one aspect I always want to make sure and stay true to is the truth itself. I'll only be speaking of what I know to be the truth from my firsthand experiences and information I wholeheartedly believe in. Uh, by sticking to that rule, you'll notice that each episode will vary in length. I'd like to continue on the subject of truth for a bit by discussing the importance of transparency. Now that I'm in recovery, transparency is something I feel strongly about. Reality, while in the depths of active addiction, gets so shrouded in secrecy and deception that it becomes one of the key components that makes our lives so horribly unmanageable. We start off by making up lies to all the straight-edge people in our lives, our loved ones, our bosses, our co-workers, significant others, all get fed bull in order to hide the fact that we're getting loaded, making excuses and false explanations as to why we've been breaking commitments, as to why we're increasingly moody or sick, or why it is our work is suffering more and more. Pretty soon you end up living what is essentially a double life. That is until the deception takes over, devouring what's left of the truth of our lives. Right out of the gate, I've made sure to be as transparent as I can. I've decided to do this for a few different reasons. For one, I really, in my heart of hearts, wanted to kick this time. So I figured, for the first time in a long time, I would put honesty at the forefront and let it all hang out. Address it so I can fix it. I couldn't afford to leave anything to chance and wind up right back where I started. The second reason is equally, if not more important. I spent so much time in and out of deceptive situations that I figured the best way to make my reality as real and true in its most sincere form was to practice lucidity in all my affairs, whether it's business or pleasure. Honesty of oneself is a bit of a double-edged sword for someone with a past such as mine. On the one hand, if you're being honest with people, depending on their knowledge or their personal experience, bias or prejudice, prejudice uh, the truth can really hinder opportunities such as ones regarding employment or housing, both of which I'm currently navigating as we speak. That being said, I know all too well how frustrating and downright discouraging these obstacles can be. I mean, back in the day, you could tell an employer or landlord anything you wanted and just hope they didn't find out. A lot of times they didn't. If they did end up catching a wind of the truth, at least you had your foot in the door and could possibly talk your way out of any consequences. But here we are in the golden age of technology and information. Now anything you want to know about anyone is simply a point and click away. That being the case, my theory is that in order to yield the best results, you have to jump out in front of every situation with good old-fashioned honesty. Well, honesty and as much documentation as you can get your hands on to back it up. Something to state that you've been tirelessly putting uh, in the effort to correct all past wrongdoing, which is yet another crucial reason, reason that treatment can be beneficial, uh, especially in the early days of recovery when no one in their right mind is quite ready to take you on uh, merit alone. They will, however, listen to someone respecting their field, someone with extra letters following their names, that is, while I'm on the topic, I'd like to add that one can also use said documentation to greatly reduce harsh sentencing and legal jams us addicts often find ourselves in. As for me, everything these days is about living my best life, situationally, spiritually, emotionally, 
And that's what transparency and recovery as a whole does for me. By taking responsibility for your actions, accepting your situation for what it is, and more importantly, being willing to do whatever it takes, you need to get the job done uh, and to get to where you're supposed to be in life and where you want to be in life. Coping skills are so crucial in recovery, hell, in life. I mean, that's what it's all about. Successfully learning to deal with emotional, sometimes life-shattering situations. Situations that turn men to the drink. <laughs> if I was to reduce it all down to one word, then I guess that word would be stress. Stress can lead many people to substances, but what about us folk that have already gone down that road only to make it out on the other side alive? What can we do to make sure we don't have to go back? I want to make it clear that I'm speaking. Uh, I'm going to be speaking of coping skills independently um, that one can use, utilize, and adapt to their individual programs, not one's program as a whole. And so, just to name a few, uh, I'm going to uh, talk about a few different uh, coping skills that I use on uh, a daily basis to keep my life in order. The first one is journaling. I put this on the list uh, first because of how significantly important it is to my day-to-day -day coping with almost every situation. Uh, just being able to put pen to paper to describe the events of my day and equally important how I dealt and felt with, uh, with these days has so many benefits. Um, for those of us who don't like the idea of writing, you can always utilize audio and video technology um, hell, I even recommend publishing your content, as I've done here, on uh, your social media platform of choice. Uh, if you're lucky, it'll reach the masses and po possibly help someone. Um, you know, you could be the next Joe Rogan. <laughs> Worst case scenario, though, you've documented your life and, and uh, you know, for all your loved ones to cherish uh, for years to come. Um, you know, I... Uh, I've been journaling for a few years now, uh, you know, even in active addiction, um, and I, I have to say that uh, it has made my life uh, a lot happier and clearer, and uh, it's given me the ability to understand what I need to do and how I need to do it. The next one. I want to talk about is focused breathing. You know, sometimes life gets to be too much and it can greatly help to just take a beat, relax, and focus on nothing besides your, you know, deep breaths. Really concentrate as you inhale and exhale. Uh, I think you'll be surprised how relaxing this can be. You know, I don't want to be mistaken with meditation. I'm talking about just taking a few minutes uh, just to focus on your breaths, clear your mind, you know, um, but meditation as well is uh, something that I'm not very good at, but it's something that I, uh, I'd like to get better at, you know, uh, uh, prayer, meditation, all these things really are a way of concentrating and relaxing and, you know, uh, giving us the ability to uh, to free ourselves from distractions and um, 
In my opinion, there's no way to lose. I can't ever remember a time in my 38 years on this earth ever hearing someone say how drug abuse has made all their hopes and dreams come true. Don't get me wrong, this is in no way, shape, or form an easy feat. Modern medicine tells us that addiction is a disease, so a disease we should treat it as. If you have diabetes, you go see a doctor, sometimes a specialist. You get your insulin, your medications, and then what? Well, if you're proactive, you begin making huge lifestyle changes, such as modifying your diet, increasing exercise, etc. With addiction, it's no different. I go to the doctor, an addiction specialist, every couple weeks to check in and talk about how things have been and what things I can do to feel my absolute best. With all the chemicals we've pumped into our bodies, there can be tremendous toxic ramification with lasting health-related consequences. To name just a few, dental issues, heart disease, hepatitis C, damaged nerve cells, lung disease, and God forbid, HIV or AIDS. Some are definitely more serious, scary, and life-threatening than others. Regardless, you can see why checking in with a doctor right away should be a priority. The sooner you can get in front of any problem in life, the better. Avoidance is never the answer. Now I'd like to switch gears and talk about coping skills for a bit. Coping skills are so crucial in recovery. Hell, in life. That's what it's all about. Successfully learning to deal with emotional, sometimes life-shattering situations. Situations that turn men to drink. If I was to re reduce it all down to one word, then I guess that word would be stress. Stress can lead many people to substances, but what about us folks that have already gone down that road only to make it out the other side alive? What can we do to make sure we don't have to go back? I want to make it clear that when I'm speaking of coping skills, I'm speaking of coping skills independently that one can use, utilize, and adapt to their individual programs, not to one's program as a whole. Journaling. I put this first on the list because of how significantly important it is to my day-to-day -day coping with almost every situation. Just being able to put pen to paper to describe the events of the day, and equally important, how I dealt and felt with said events, has so many benefits. Journaling evokes mindfulness and helps in developing and keeping perspective. It presents an opportunity for emotional catharsis and helps the brain regulate emotions. It's also been said that it can provide a greater sense of confidence and self-identity in oneself. For those of us who don't like the idea of writing, you can always utilize audio and video technology. I recommend publishing your content on your social media platform of choice. If you're lucky, it'll reach the masses and possibly help someone. Hell, who knows, you could be the next Joe Rogan. <laughs> Worst case scenario, you've documented your life for all your loved ones to cherish for years to come. Worst case scenario, you've documented your life's work and nobody checks it out. Focused breathing. Sometimes life gets to be too much and it can greatly help to just take a beat, relax, and focus on nothing besides deep breaths. I'm talking deep breaths from the gut. <sighs> Blowing all the air out, pushing your stomach out as far as you can, and then breathing in equally as deep. Not utilizing any of the muscles from your upper body and back. Really concentrate as you inhale and you exhale. I think you'll be surprised at how relaxing this can be. Studies have shown that the increased flow of oxygen to the brain's 
allows it to function at optimal levels, which in turn aids decision making and the ability to focus on tasks. It also has beneficial impacts on the brain's state of awareness, increasing retention and concentration. Meditation. Um, this is a practice I don't utilize as much as I should or as much as I'd like to. Um, as with journaling, meditation is a sort of learned skill or habit, uh, one that takes focus, determination, and dedication to form as a habit. Uh, what I have learned is that some of the benefits include, but are not limited to, anxiety control, enhanced self-awareness, reduction of age-related memory loss, and it can promote emotional health. Some research suggests that meditation may physically change the brain and body and it can potentially help to improve many health problems and promote healthy behaviors. Uh, scientists also suggest that meditation activates certain areas of the brain in response to pain. Uh, Edgar Cayce once said, meditation is listening to the divine within. Um, and so to begin meditating, uh, I'll give you a few uh, a few ways that I've done it in the past. Uh, first, sit or lie comfortably. You may even want to invest in a meditation chair or cushion. I usually just sit on the couch. Um, next, you'll want to close your eyes and breathe naturally. Uh, make no effort to control your breaths. And lastly, um, focus all of your attention on the breath and how the body moves with each inhalation and exhalation. Um, continue to do this for a predetermined amount of time. I recommend starting at five minutes uh, and then working your way up to as long as you'd like. I think I'm going to go ahead and end on that note. I want to say that I appreciate everyone or no one <laughs> that's listening to this. Uh, like I said, that these are going to be rough at first uh, and maybe forever, but I'm going to keep trying at it and hopefully... Uh, it helps someone along the way. Uh, again, thank you for listening. Until next time.